Attention architects and creative minds, get ready to supercharge your brand with Build Your Brand, the podcast that's unlocking the secrets of branding success for creatives. Hey there, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my friend, architect marketing expert, Jeff Eccles at Build Your Brand Podcast, where he explores the captivating stories of the world's top brands and transforms their lessons into powerful moves for small firm architects and creatives like you. In season one, Jeff shares the thrilling tale of Southwest Airlines, where he dissects their journey to the summit and distills it into strategies tailor-made for you. It's important to keep in mind that companies like Southwest compete in the real world, just like you, and face real-world challenges, just like you. You might be surprised at how similar those challenges are to the struggles that you grapple with on a day-to-day basis. Don't miss out on your blueprint for success. Subscribe, tune in, and let's build your brand together. You may have noticed that the very best brands in the world are also known for having somewhat unique corporate cultures. That's often the glue that holds everything together when they encounter those rough spots. We don't do it because it inconveniences the passengers to whom we are primarily dedicated, the short haul, uh, frequent flyer. Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Your Brand today. Remember, no matter the size, the journey's the same. Your brand's journey to the top starts here. Going back to this longevity versus healthy longevity, I think one of the outcomes of this is if we make a set of different decisions, makes it such that our quality of life is impacted. We may not feel that today as much as we may feel that down the road where we're in a position where we have more compromised quality of life, whether it's our health, whether it's our financial resources, that even if we're living longer, it isn't necessarily living better. And, and so I do hope there's, and I think there is, at least in some circles, a movement around, okay, how do we make this longevity thing a healthy longevity? Welcome back to our relaunch of Context and Clarity Live, the place where authors, experts, and thought leaders come to have engaged conversations with entrepreneurial architects just like you. I'm Jeff Eccles, and every Tuesday afternoon on Context and Clarity Live, my new co-host, Katie Kangas, and I, and our live audiences that join us from all across the internet, we have a conversation with a special guest to search for clarity around the things that matter most to you, the architect, no matter what your context is. In this episode, we talk with Ryan Frederick. Ryan is the founder and CEO of HERE, formerly known as Smart Living 360. He's also the author of the bestseller, Right Place, Right Time, the ultimate guide to choosing a home for the second half of life. Ryan was also the closing keynote speaker at the Entree Architect Community Annual Meeting last year. All right, welcome back to Context and Clarity Live. Still haven't worked out a fancy intro yet for uh, the relaunch here of Context and Clarity Live, but uh, but glad you're here. Welcome back. Uh, this is a new time, a new day, uh, a new look, a new co-host. We said all of this last week as well, uh, but it's uh, it's been fun to re- relaunch this 
and um, have a have a new approach to context and clarity live uh, at this point. So welcome, glad that you're here. Uh, if you missed last week, if you don't know this, my new co-host is Katie Kangas. Welcome, Katie, and uh, all the way from Minnesota. Yes, I'm not too far from you in the Midwest. No, you're not. That's that's right. We're we're holding down the middle. Yes. Let's make the most of the time that we have with our guest today. He's back there in the green room, waiting patiently. Uh, some of you are going to recognize this this face, and you're going to recognize this name because he was uh, our closing keynote speaker for the Entree Architect Community Annual Meeting back in November in Austin, Texas. So. Let me introduce him. Our guest today is a CEO and a founder. He's an expert on senior housing and care and on aging in place. He's the author of the best-selling Right Place, Right Time, The Ultimate Guide to Choosing a Home for the Second Half of Life. He was the closing keynote speaker at TCAM 22 last or yeah, 22 last year um, in Austin. He's also the founder of Here which maybe we need to explain that. It's like, you are here. He's the founder of Here. We'll get into that here momentarily. Ryan Frederick, welcome to Context. I should say, welcome back, Context and Clarity Live. Yeah, well, thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm, I guess I'm part of the Southern part of the middle. Going you are. The dialogue. I'm the Texas representation. So excited to be here. What you work on and the way that you approach it fascinates me because uh, understanding that you're not an architect, but you know so much about placemaking and about the effect of placemaking. So one of the things that I really wanted to, to kind of, I guess, start out with is while many architects are thinking about creating places, I think we think about it um, in terms of the physical, uh, the experience, um, probably probably emotional aspects of it as well. You You consider those things, but you actually take it, I would say even further, in the, the long-term effect of place, I guess, in, in a way. Can you talk a little bit about the, the way that you think about placemaking? Yeah, I, I've perhaps thought too much about it in retrospect. Uh, you know, it, and, and, and in fact, it goes a bit to uh, the, the, the name of my company, which I, I think has changed. It has been since I was with you all in November. Uh, it has, yeah, you, you alluded to the change, yeah. Yes, I alluded to the change. And I followed up on that one. So- yeah, to just let me let me double click on that for a second, and then I'll and I'll double back on 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 your question. I because they're related. Um, I think that this this impact of of where we choose to live and and I'd say be present. It's not just our address. How where are we present? It is. Uh, I do believe it's it's a it's a it's a profound has a profound impact on on your life. And I think it's one of these things that there's an impact here and now. Um, but there's this longer lasting impact and what might be perfect for Jeff or perfect for Katie may not be right for Ryan. And it's a very, uh, there's unique dimensions to it at the individual level. And there's also uh, unique elements of the time. I did a talk yesterday in, in Orlando. I was sharing earlier in the, before we started this. Um, and I talked about a story uh, of when I lived in San Francisco. So my first job, I, I studied engineering in college, uh, uh, electrical engineering, thought I'd be in technology for a long time. Uh, wasn't, we'll get to that in a second. But I was in, in San Francisco during the heydays of the dot-com craziness and 
and I was worked for an investment bank for a year and then, and then got recruited to work for a group we invested in a software company. And we went public within a year and it was crazy. I was like, oh my God, this business thing's pretty easy. It's not actually, but it felt like that at the time. Then we had a, a scandal in our company. Some people went to jail, had a dose of reality therapy. But there was a window there for a while, actually, when I was in San Francisco, I was single, then dating my uh, later, later become my wife, my good buddies. I commuted to basically to work via bicycle. And I, uh, you know, it was an awesome time for me and San Francisco. And then fast forward, call about 20 years later and or 15, depending on when I kind of left and so on. And it's a different circumstance. I've got three teenage hooligans and I've got, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, yeah, different demands on my time. And, and, and so my one, my apartment that I shared with three other roommates and later with one roommate wouldn't work quite as well. That place wouldn't pour it over. Well. My, my wife wouldn't accept that. I don't think, uh, but then also San Francisco's changed. Uh, I remember I'm not a big uh, shopper. I'd go uh, clothes shopping one time a year and it would be to the Nordstrom's downtown. They have an anniversary sale every July. Well, based on some recent announcements, I don't think that Nordstrom's will be uh, open this July. You know, it's among uh, stores they've decided to close in the San Francisco area. And so you've got this dynamic where just finding your here, your right place, it has a big impact, which I'll come back to in a second, but it's so unique. It's unique to your needs and preferences and, and what the options are out there. And then that moment, um, back to the, the place thing. Yeah, I, I think it is, it's, it is so profound. And, and I think when you look at the research around uh, healthy longevity, the good news is so much of it actually is in our community. So just because your parents lived for a long time, generally speaking, that isn't necessarily a strong indicator that you will live for a long time. But more importantly, it's not just how long you live, it's the quality of the life that you have. The phrase I've had, I've used recently is longevity is a gift, healthy longevity is earned. And the premise behind that is a lot of the boost in longevity that we've gotten over the last century is a, is, is a consequence of advances in health, healthcare, technology. It's, it's a bit of where the era we were born into. Healthy longevity, where we are healthy for a long duration of that, where we're financially secure, where we have purpose and we're socially connected. More of that's kind of up to us to, to sort out. And then as architects, to be mindful of that for our clients. In what ways can we create places that make it easier for people to thrive over over this long, and I, in some respects, I see it as um, really as the key to healthy longevity, and that is place. Yet it's hidden in plain sight. You know, we focus on God eat my broccoli, and I got to go exercise. Not important things. Don't get me wrong, but if if you get place right, a lot of those things just happen easier. Like it's like in the water, and particularly the social connection piece, which I, I want to spend some time talking about today as well. So we've got a little bit, some of us have a little bit of an advantage because we talked about this a little bit in November. But as, as I mentioned earlier, you have a book, um, best-selling book, it's called Right Place, Right Time. And it talks about choosing choosing that place. You know, so much of, of what you're talking about in choosing that place, um, like you just alluded to, the social connections. I'm, I'm thinking about where I am right now. I live in an historic neighborhood. 
um, exactly five miles from the center of Indianapolis as I sit here right now. Uh, if I could if I could get high enough to get a see over the trees, I would I'd be staring right at the the, the skyscrapers downtown and uh, very walkable community. I get up every morning. I walk. Um, I, I don't I didn't want to be a walker. So my excuse is I walk over and get my espresso at the coffee shop mm-hmm. every morning and walk home. Um, you know, there are a lot of things that we can do in this neighborhood on foot and, you know, the social connections like you alluded to the front porches, uh, you know, this is one of those front porch kind of neighborhoods. Uh, everybody has their dogs that they walk, et cetera. Um, versus, you know, if I were to drive, um, you know, Indianapolis is not a huge city. Um, if I were to drive, say, 20 minutes or so east of here, I get into suburban sprawl. I get into, dis- in my opinion, disconnectedness. Um, that That's and, and and not to be judgmental, right? Because what's right for me is not what's right for people living out there. That's that there are big differences in those places, and and I hear you when you say social connection, because that's that's what this neighborhood is about, right? It's about social connections. You know, I, a couple things on that. I would say that part of what I advocate is getting this higher on people's radar screen. Individually, uh, are we being as thoughtful as we can be? around the elements that are important to us and how are they embedded in, in, in the places that we, uh, that we frequent, that we are rooted in. And to your point earlier, you don't want to be judgmental, but it's possible that there are some people that are living further away that could afford to be in a more walkable area that could basically, basically could also, um, that could benefit from the social connection. And it's possible they just haven't put the thought to understand the difference. And and I, I think that part of the dynamic that's happening right now, and this is why I think it's so important for this community to be aware of it individually and then also as as professionals, is that more and more our society is being designed, wired for disconnection. So I'll give you some examples. Uh, I do blog every other week on the here.life website, there's a mailing list people can sign up for. And there's an assessment tool there thousands of people have taken just to say, is this the right place for me? And I then offer some advice about it. I do want to come back to some courses I'm doing in a second. We'll come back to that before we're done. But a recent blog uh, was really talking about this experience going to a Whole Foods here in Austin where I drove into the garage, I got my parking ticket, parked my car, Went up the stairs, grabbed my shopping cart, went through a few different aisles, loaded some some stuff into my shopping cart, got in the self checkout line, you know, zapped a few things, put my credit card in, grabbed my bags and my cart, got my ticket uh, uh, certified so I could get uh, you know uh, uh, so I could leave for free, and went down, loaded my bags from my shopping cart into my car. Got in my car, drove out, got my, uh, gave them my parking, gave the machine my parking ticket. Uh, I didn't talk to anyone. In fact, had I tried, I probably didn't have to make eye contact. About about a month later, I was visiting a friend in Cincinnati. Cincinnati's the the headquarters of Kroger. Uh, Kroger took it a step further. This was a larger Kroger store. Um, there were about twelve uh, checkout stands. They they were all the self-checkout. They didn't offer an, an in-person option. In fact, they're relying so heavily on this that they have built, in this store, 
two of them that offer the feature of a conveyor belt. So when we went, went in and we had our bags. Now this is a bigger shopping cart. We were, we were shopping for a larger party. So we take our, our, uh, produce and our and our uh, bags and our jar our cans and we're zapping them and we put them on the conveyor belt and then goes to the end and and then we you know pay pay our credit card and then we walk down to the end of the conveyor belt and then we get the opportunity to bag all of our mound then of of groceries put them in our bags pop in the grocery cart you know go out to now we had some entertainment with this because it was the two of us. That's a good friend. I hadn't seen him in a while. But imagine if you're single and there's some level of loneliness, which by the way, there was a, a, an op-ed piece in New York Times about a week ago from the current U.S. Surgeon General. He said, one in two people in the U.S. in any given moment have some measurable level of loneliness. It's like super pervasive. But imagine you're single, you live alone, your big excursion for the day is to go to the grocery store and you go to the grocery store and in your experience there, you don't talk to anyone and you go through the conveyor belt experience I just said. Now, how does that make you feel about humanity? And, and my guess is you're probably not feeling, probably not feeling great. And, and there was a, I'm not going to put this on the architects. This is, you know, a different deal, but the more and more that we're wired to or, or that our society's designed for disconnection, I would say it makes your neighborhood like you're talking about, Jeff, all the more important where you have a front porch, where there's opportunities for easy engagement, where you're in a culture around you where you can, it's common to say hi. I mean, even places where people walk, you know, more and more people have their earbuds in and you feel like you're disrupting them even to say hi. So I, I, we are, we're in a spot now, and this is even before we talk about artificial intelligence, before we talk about, you know, the younger generation, the digital natives that have been uh, raised without some of the, the social kind of niceties, perhaps that older generations were raised on. The cultural norms have changed. And so I, I believe people have agency to say this is important, and that's part of what I encourage. But in part of that is in the decision of where to live. Uh, but there's also an element of what can there be more of a narrative? Can we talk more about this? Can there be more examples of where architects and other professionals have spoken out, influenced their you know the developers they work with? And I say this not to be alarmist, but I just think it matters. You know, it's it's not just having relationships with your good friends. This, this idea of knowing like your, you know, your grocer checkout person that works there, their name, it makes you feel like you have a, a, a greater sense of belonging in your community. There's a recent study on belonging where a national one where it showed that only 26% of people in the U.S. have a sense of belonging in their local communities. They feel an aggregate more of a greater sense of belonging to their country. Then and we know all the political strife in that level, but here in the you know this is your neighbors and and so on. So this is it really you know it really matters. And then when you look at the the research around the health narratives, uh, there's a, a number of things that point to this. But I'll I'll, I'll raise one, and that is uh, there's a, a study out of Harvard, a longevity study, um, recently the basis of a book called The Good Life. And what they found basically was that of all the different and they, it's a fascinating study. What they did they did it six hundred people. In 300 that were uh, a Harvard undergraduate class, 
that then was complemented by another um, 400 uh, at risk in the Boston area going back say, 80 years ago. So this was JFK's class at Harvard. Pull them together. They've watched them over these many decades. They've watched them, their spouses, their kids, their kids' kids. They followed them around the country as well. Life unfolded. Uh, people fill out a survey every year uh, about their health. They get they get records from their physicians every five years. They sit down with them for an in depth interview. They do a separate health check. What they found was uh, it was the nature. Uh, it was your relationships, the strength of relationships that stood out among every other variable. In fact, they said your the health of your relationships in your fifties was the strongest indicator of your health more broadly in these. So this is, yeah, this stuff this stuff matters, and we I think we have to recognize uh, the moment that we're in and the ways in which there's headwinds that uh, you know that are that are impacting. Yeah, it's impressive the intersectionality of research that you're doing and uh, and addressing in this book. And I think that's like next level writing. You can't just write about researching a topic. You write about how you're processing, how they are. Inter- it's so complex, especially when you're talking about people. I just wanted to list real fast those five yeah. categories. Yeah, I love lists. For it. You're talking yeah. place, purpose social connection, physical well-being, and financial well-being. And that seemed so comprehensive. So I just wanted to bring that to everyone's attention as we're going into this, that you've thought and researched each of these components as you've Yeah, that's right. And and I uh, really got that framework of those five different elements through some work that Gallup Healthways had done with their well-being index. But to your point, there's an opportunity to double-click or triple-click each of those areas um, you know, part of this work is inspired by the blue zones and the blues, which is really that concept has been around for about 20 years, Dan Butner and, and some of his colleagues from National Geographic, they traveled the world and they identified five areas where people had lived the longest and healthiest places like Costa Rica, uh, Japan, um, uh, an area in Italy, area in Greece, and then actually a spot in Southern California. And in that work, they, they were able to observe. But what's changed over that time or certainly been augmented is there's been a lot more research on these different elements like you describe of purpose, of social connection, and and so on, on on their own merits. And while it may be um, fun to imagine moving full-time to Italy or Greece, for example, as a practical matter, most of us, the opportunity really is to create our own blue zone closer to where we live or somewhere less. And, and I think in that sense, yeah, the research is, is helpful to, to look at. And, and, and to your point earlier, Jeff, people, we have, we have agency. Like that's part of what makes, uh, I think, America a special place is you're not generally mandated to do that many things. But we can share here the things that the research seems to indicate. And you have an opportunity within, within certain measures to, to, to lean into that or not. The, going back to this longevity versus healthy longevity, I, I think w- one of the outcomes of this is if, we're, if we make a set of different decisions, makes it such that our quality of life is impacted. We may not feel that today as much as we may feel that down the road where we're in a position where we have more compromised quality of life, whether it's our health, whether it's our financial resources, that even if we're living longer, it isn't necessarily living better. 
And, and so I do hope there's, and I think there is, at least in some circles, a movement around, okay, how do we make this longevity thing a healthy longevity? You know, they say today half of the kids born in the U.S. are expected to live too long. So this is, and we only have seen different stats, but generally speaking, it's sub 4% of the housing stock in the entire U.S. has been designed for people with just some mobility, you know, issues. So it's like we've almost... We, th- we thought when the suburbs were built out that were car dependent, we're mentioning that, uh, well, I guess all, we also thought that people would never age and there, uh, there'd be no, you know, health, health compromises along the way. So this is, this is an important time to, to, to think differently and, and recreate and, and work in partnership with business clients, but also, you know, residential and individual clients too. Attention architects and creative minds. Get ready to supercharge your brand with Build Your Brand, the podcast that's unlocking the secrets of branding success for creatives. Hey there, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my friend, architect marketing expert, Jeff Eccles at Build Your Brand Podcast, where he explores the captivating stories of the world's top brands and transforms their lessons into powerful moves for small firm architects and creatives like you. In season one, Jeff shares the thrilling tale of Southwest Airlines, where he dissects their journey to the summit and distills it into strategies tailor-made for you. It's important to keep in mind that companies like Southwest compete in the real world, just like you, and face real-world challenges, just like you. You might be surprised at how similar those challenges are to the struggles that you grapple with on a day-to-day basis. Don't miss out on your blueprint for success. Subscribe, tune in, and let's build your brand together. You may have noticed that the very best brands in the world are also known for having somewhat unique corporate cultures. That's often the glue that holds everything together when they encounter those rough spots. We don't do it because it inconveniences the passengers to whom we are primarily dedicated, the short haul uh, frequent flyer. Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Your Brand today. Remember, no matter the size, the journey's the same. Your brand's journey to the top starts here. So when we think about, you know, obviously we've got an audience of, uh, of I'm going to assume mainly architects today, many of whom are designing residential projects. Um, maybe it's a one-off, maybe it's a development, maybe it's a multifamily or mixed-use project. But when when we're talking to an audience like this, what's what's your message to the architects in terms of, of how they can impact these things that you're talking about? Obviously, they're working with clients. Um, you know, they, they, that's, that's their lifeblood, right? If a client hires me, I've got to design, you know, to their program, et cetera. But, but what can architects control short of also being a developer, I suppose, but what can architects control where, where they can have the maximum impact in this larger equation that you're talking about? Well, I think, yeah, I think they can have a lot of impact, Jeff. I, I think that I mentioned this, I believe when we were together in November and that is one of the first opportunities is to ask a client, and I'm sure people do this already, so I'm I'm probably a little bit rudimentary on this, but that is to say, we can talk about what your goals are for the, the physical product, but can we take a step back for a second, just for a moment, 
what are your life goals here to this home? Like what, and what do you imagine the uses? How do you want to celebrate in this house? Like what, help us understand the, the ways in which you might want this home to be a hub for activity. What are the type of people you want to host? To the extent that you can link your home to some broader life goals, it can then inform the architect uh, around clever ideas that the, the homeowner may not necessarily be thinking about on the front end. It may not be reflected in uh, you know, architect digest and so on. Uh, because I'd say one of the, you know, the, the, the tragedies in all this is when people go through the effort of a rebuild, a remodel, and they make some decisions around the design then uh, forces them to perhaps change their place earlier than they needed to, or it becomes less accommodating when they have people that are, um, that are staying with them that could benefit from these things. And by the way, a lot of these designs around universal design, ageless design, it does not mean that it's a compromise on the, the, the look and feel of what you're doing. You don't, they don't have to have, there, there, there aren't necessarily compromises in these things. You can do it in an aesthetically like pleasing way uh, that just works. Plenty of examples. So I would say, you know, if you can start off, uh, you know, like I think I saw Jessica here, the, the Facebook message, like, yeah, what harm is it by asking that question? Like, how does this fit into your, you know, your life goals? And I think that's pretty harmless and give you a lot of power. And also be seen as something more than just an architect. You're like, actually, they're trying to help me with my life more broadly. Not saying you should go to life coaching, but what it does do is it, at a minimum, see, allows you to see the bigger picture and then, and then solve for some. And to the extent you start to have some stories where people are thoughtful about creating some measure, say ageless design to accommodate like broader life goals. Like, hey, I want this to be something forever house. Well, then you have case studies, examples, you know, you can share, you can write about, share, talk with uh, prospective clients. So I think that would be, that's, that's, that's a, a key thing. Uh, now I do, and this came up in November. Um, you don't want to talk yourself out of a client. That said, uh, there may be situations where a client might try to be modifying, say an existing house. So I know we're focusing a bit on individual kind of residential experiences, but they're, 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 they're saying, we want to say this as we want to make some changes, but it might be that that place that they're in is it's the wrong one. Like they may not know their neighbors. They may not be socially connected. Um, you know, there may be other things that make that, that physical house in its composite, just not the right place for them at that. And I'm not suggesting that, uh, that you talk yourself out of a client. However, it might be that the better opportunity is to find property elsewhere or a different house that you can remodel reasons. And this is why my hope is that as, as, uh, as we think, as more people think more deeply about place and its central role in healthy longevity is it allows a broader set of like creative options to make sure that you're solving for, you know, the best place for you at, you know, at that given time. So that's why I started. You know, I do, I mentioned I have this assessment on the, on the here website, here.life. You'll see it there, but it's here.life slash assessment. And in some cases that actually might be an interesting tool for architects. If, if they're working with a client where they just know places on their mind, this is, this can be a, 
it's a two minute assessment it just helps people understand where they are and they may they may they may decide with a little more reflection kind of where they are and that may be more informative for you as you then try to find the right right situation so if you're if you're listening to this or you don't see the screen right now or maybe you do see the screen there's there is a, uh, a URL that Ryan just mentioned here.life that's that's the actual URL there is a .life extension now so here.life is the website so here.life slash assessment will lead you to the assessment obviously that Ryan is referring to and I you know you you mentioned not talking yourself out of a client which you know fair point but um, as the guy that gets to put on sort of the management consulting hat or the business of architecture hat a lot, I would argue that, and, and you actually mentioned this earlier, that that actually taking that approach and saying, hey, maybe this isn't the right house. Maybe we need to look at a, at a different place for connectivity reasons or wh whatever those are. I think that adds, that's a big value add for architects. And I know there are architects out there. They'll say, well, that's not what architects do. And I say, Why not? Why not do that? So there's, you know, of course, Taylor Davis, who's part of your community from TPD Architects, and she's built a practice around uh, this this area, particularly I'd say on the aging in place side. It's very thoughtful, you know, in the Alabama uh, uh, Alabama market, Birmingham in particular. But I think that they're going back to our social connectedness conversation we had moments ago. As we all know, there are a lot of boomers, <laughs> millions and millions of boomers, and and many of them. It's complicated to figure out what to do. And so if they're able to get not just an architect, but someone who's thoughtful about how to plan for a longer life, you know, yes, please. And when you figure also how many people there are, as I said, a bit socially disconnected in certain circles, single, whatever, like it, it's, this is, this, there's a lot of value in being able to like slow, slow things down for just a moment. What are you really solving for? And and I, I could imagine it, it it not just leads to better outcomes over the long haul, but um, got to be some reputational gains too. Where you know this is this is because it's hard to get good advice on how to think about these things. So yeah, I, you know everyone has to manage their practice in the best way for them. But I do think there's just enormous opportunity in in pretty much every locale with with people aging, looking for alternatives. You know, not interested in senior housing or not interested in senior housing yet. Uh, when you look at the, the the gains in longevity, generally speaking, uh, you know, it's not people living another five years in skilled nursing. It's it's people generally having another five healthy years, for example. And so, what do you want this this narrative of you you get educated, you work, and then you retire? Like that narrative, we're in the midst of blowing that up because. If, if all we're doing is adding extra years to retirement that for most people may not have the purpose they're looking for, they may not be financially able, particularly in a post-pension world, it's different. You know, you're coming in and out of different pursuits and, and that may mean you have different physical places are part of it. And one thing we haven't talked about as much, but I want to mention is, is this idea of, uh, you know, metaphorically, what's your place? You know, for every stage in life, are you, are you with your people? You know, are you doing the things that you want to go do? You know that 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 is so important because if you don't have a sense of those things, you know you may be you know choosing the wrong physical place as well. You may you may be solving for the wrong level. I guess I could say you know you might say okay I got to make my house a little bit better now for this stage in life, but in practice it may be that this the real issue is you you got to find a new purpose because you're a different stage and you got to go find your people 
and uh, and that may not be right there. So there's the little piece of finding your place, and there's also the the figured here, which becomes Mark Twain had a, a, a number of famous quotes, but one of them is the two most important days of your life are the day you were born, which I agree with, and then and then the day you find out why. And he was born in the 1800s. Life expectancy was was sub 50. And and I think in the world that we have now, where people are living longer, I don't think it's just one why. I think you have multiple whys, and each why comes with it. This 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 check. Okay, is my with my people? Am I in the right place physically? It has a bunch of things tied to it. So you know, it might be that you're you know maybe there's a stage where you're looking more after your kids, and but maybe there's a stage where you're looking after older family or all sorts of different stages of the, 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 those whys. And and I'm curious. If you know about the term life cycle housing, I'm I'm familiar I'm familiar with it, but not not terribly. That's it. It's new to me too. It's something that develop uh, economic developers kind of talk about when thinking about a community. Um, I'm part of a group that goes into rural Minnesota communities to talk with them, and often housing is the biggest problem, the lack of it. But they will often talk about the type of housing that you build and and not just building apartment complexes because that doesn't meet the needs and thinking more completely. That's a great point. So there, uh, this probably ties a bit into something we talked about briefly in November, and that was around going back to this missing middle we talked about earlier. It's the missing middle housing. You know, so you've got, you know, a number of markets you either have the single family housing, and then you got the apartments to your point, Katie. But in practice, and I talk about this a bit in the book, you, you've got duplexes and triplexes and townhomes, and there's this bigger, you know, middle housing option. It, you know, even ADUs, I would say, kind of fit into some of the accessible dwelling units. So the more that um, municipalities, and I've been doing some more speaking for municipalities, I hope to do more around this because if if municipalities can understand this, if they can appreciate that having a broader range of housing, and I'll call it like attainable, that's designed for people such that works over a longer period of, of one's life. It allows people that are, are from that community to stay there in, in better kind of non-institutional housing. And when you have, uh, there's, there's a trade-off oftentimes of the amount of square footage and then lot size which allows some levels of density, not necessarily on top of each other the way apartments are, but you have uh, enough space that people might prefer, but enough density that allows for these spontaneous levels of interactions. We, we're missing that in a lot of our areas. You know, the rural areas are an interesting, interesting uh, uh, opportunity because there might be more to play with there than fully built out urban areas and Actually, this this story might resonate most strongly in the Midwest, in the middle parts of the country. In fact, uh, I have not spent much time in Indianapolis, but I know there's thinking about where you are, Jeff. I know how far away are you from Carmel? So Carmel, Indiana, is uh, 20 Carmel. minutes north of me. Okay, northwest uh, of me. Because yep. I've heard some good so stories. They're suburban. Uh, yep. Yeah, of of Carmel, where it is suburban, but it has some um, design intents to make yeah. at least some of it a bit easier for people to know each other. So there's some sneaky good areas in, in, in the Midwest. I talk about that a little bit in my book. I think it's, it's overlooked. It over indexes for friendliness. You know, there it's, 
there are some interesting places where people have made made these places home where we can go in and get, get to know people and and the price point could be more reasonable than some other places and you're also seeing some interesting redevelopment as, as you're saying that i was thinking about uh, one of my sisters went to berry college in rome georgia a tiny little school up in the mountains of northwest georgia one of the things that i've learned since she graduated is, is that at berry when she was there they had, like a lot of places have, they, they had sort of a, a thriving um, daycare facility. So, you know, like local, uh, you know, people from, from Rome, from Georgia, uh, they could take their kids to the daycare there. Employees of the college could take their kids there. And so you've got this interaction between kids and college students. Well, now at Barry, they have also built senior housing on campus. And so you've got dormitories for college students, you've got the, the, you know, the young kids, and then you've got seniors there. And, and they're looking at that strictly from the point of view of the, the intergenerational interaction, which I, and I've not been up there on campus, I guess, probably since she graduated, which was, she's not as old as I am, but it was a long time ago still. But I, I think that's fascinating. And it, it would seem to be incredibly healthy for everybody involved to have that, that intergenerational uh, intersection there. Yeah, there's a lot of research on that as well, and and how it's good for the young and the old. And a lot of our society today, uh, we are we're, we're we're segregated by age, and so then younger people don't get to see, uh, have meaningful interactions with, understand, uh, you know, people that are in different life stages. Then there's there's wisdom that can't be passed down as you know as as easily as well. Now, from a practical perspective, a number of these colleges, they're, they're struggling because they've got, some of them anyway, some elements of decreasing enrollment. They've got aging, physical plant issues. They've got the same labor challenges that we face uh, broadly. They've got tuition levels that are exceedingly high for a lot of families. So especially those that don't have large endowments, they, they, they need to find a way to pivot to be more relevant long-term. And so this could be a good you know, housing use to, to have other generations and also ones that are interested uh, in, in, in lifelong learning. So I think it's, it's interesting. I, I, there've been high profile projects across the country. I think you're starting to see it pop up around some smaller you know, universities and colleges as well. Be interesting to see how that, you know, how that evolves. You know, one of the benefits when when you describe some of these uh, communal areas that work for people who are not college age, they think back to their college experience. Like, well, how great was it to have people so close by? And I think about my friends from college and it wasn't, I like to think I learned some stuff in college, although not my grades don't necessarily always support that uh, thesis. But, uh, but I did, it was the 2 a.m. conversations. You know, we just had a uh, our twenty fifth uh, college reunion, and you know, a bunch of people came back for it. And then I went to Princeton, and they went to the Sweet Sixteen this year. So we had a spontaneous Sweet Sixteen gathering in Louisville, Kentucky, among people. And I and I, there was one point, there were about a handful of us, and our fondest memories were inventing a game we called Happy Fun Ball in our freshman dorm in a narrow hallway. I can't remember what the rules are now, but we had some ball. We tried to tag each other and we did this endless hours and we didn't have a phone distracting us. Apparently homework didn't distract us either, but it, it created these, these bonding experiences. And when you're 
in spots where you're in your own kind of capsule separate and apart from people, happy fun ball doesn't happen. So, so I, so I think that they're, the more that create places that people are drawn to not feel like they're forced to go to like that, that's an important part of the mindset working with a, uh, I have a consulting practice is part of what I spend my time on is I'm working with a developer in, in the Southeast and we're, we're building uh, cottages. Uh, these are going to be age restricted cottages, but we're building them in clusters where you have a shared green space, your front porches, where uh, the expectation is that you just make it easier to get to know your neighbor. You're not required, um, but make it easier. And the hope is we're going to self-select for people that, you know, that kind of want something like this. Uh, there's an article I saw today, uh, Margaritaville, the developer there, locations in Florida and in South Carolina, they, they have pretty uh, robust development plans. You know, in a market today where housing developers are, how's the math work? And taking a step back, putting a pause, they're, they're hitting the accelerator because they see that um, there are people looking for community and their parrot heads and some others too. It may not, it may not be the right place for any of us, but for some it is. And it's less about the design's important, but it's more about how all these things fit together. Now that's not intergenerational, but I think there's ways we can get placemaking that inspires people that can also have that intergenerational. So true. I think this resonates for many reasons with me personally, trying to recreate my own childhood in a small town and having my grandparents both in town and able to help. And now I'm outside of a big city and grandparents are here. Grandmothers are here, but it's half hour, 45 minutes away. And so it's a pseudo recreation of it, but it misses. So yes, I am on this path trying to figure this out. So it really resonates on a personal level. What we're kind of talking about where the power of a lot of this thinking seems to be at a policy level, but so many of us are like yeah. in the middle in our profession. So what, what can you leave us with to like, this is so much to unpack. Where can we like start to percolate this. Well, I would practice. say, I'd say play the long, Katie, Katie, play the long game. And the long game is these issues we're talking about around social connection, around healthy longevity, they're not going away. If anything, they're going to become more and more relevant with each passing. And so to be part, to, to be uh, schooled on this, in fact, to talk about that for just a second, since we were together uh, in November, I've now uh, created a, a beta workshop of the book and related content in person. Actually, some real estate uh, brokers have hosted it. Some wealth advisors brought their clients of two that were in person, one that was virtual, and they went really well. People are like, oh my gosh, there's so much here. I didn't realize all the different dimensions, how important it is. And that led me now to launch a, a beta course. So we've got about a dozen people from across the country, four different sessions with the expectation of, of getting to a plan. Okay, here's my plan of next three to five years. So I think, yes, play the long game. There could be a path where there's even just some education. How can I get a little bit smarter on this beyond just uh, a you know context and clarity live event or a book? You know, how can I contextualize this for for my work, our work, so that I'm more confident, understanding what matters, and how to then relay that to my hands. So I would say that's probably the near term. I think it doesn't hurt, Katie, to to be part of some of those local conversations, you know, in your lo local municipality, to be reading uh, things that are in this area, you know, for where you are, it would be great if the architecture community was more of a voice that made it for, made 
uh, made it easier for a wider range of uh, zoning possibilities. So we weren't stuck with just apartments for a single family, but there were more options. And so I, those are, you know, I would say, take a moment to see how it applies to your life and your journey. Like you just described, play the long game, understand that this is going to become, whether you want it or not, it's going to become more and more part of your practice because you're simply going to run into more people where this is on their radar screen and they're going to need help sorting it out. And then consider taking a, a deeper step of what would it look like to be armed with a bit more information, uh, customized to, as an architect to then be able to, you know, have those, have those conversations. You know, you mentioned Carmel, Indiana, and, you know, I, I kind of chuckle a little bit because some of those projects that you're talking about, I worked on in a past life. I worked for a firm where we did, we, we would have called it traditional neighborhood design. And Katie, if you if you look at the Congress uh, Congress for the New Urbanism, so this new urbanist uh, traditional neighborhood design, um, you, you know, we studied all of those things, and we would design these new neighborhoods and things. And and what always seemed ironic to me, you know, this would have been in the the timeline on that would have been uh, early two thousands, I guess. Is that right? Well, uh, no, two thousand two thousand five ish or so uh, in, in that time frame. And what always seemed ironic to me was, and I've, I've lived in this house where I am in this historic neighborhood where I am for 28 years now. I recently uh, needed to ask my daughter, you know, where, where she wants to live. And I'll just leave the story there. And she immediately started looking for places in this neighborhood. It's the only place she's ever known, but there's a reason that she loves the neighborhood, the walkability, the people knowing your name when you go to the restaurant over here, or the coffee shop, et cetera. And to me, the irony in looking at new urbanism, traditional neighborhood design was what we were doing was essentially recreating this neighborhood that where I live now. And yep. the home I live in is about 90 years old. It's one of the youngest houses in this neighborhood. And to, to your point, Ryan, this idea that this isn't going away, absolutely right. I mean, the, the house, the, you know, however you want to look at it, the per square foot housing value in this neighborhood is extremely high. Versus, you know, some new construction out further east of here, and and there are big reasons for that. But I th I think I think everything that you're talking about, Ryan, um, and, and I mentioned this, Katie, because I know you're you're focused on historic, right? What what lessons can you learn from historic design, planning, et cetera, that are completely relevant today? Um, if not more relevant today than they have been for the past 50, 60, 70 years. Uh, and, and relevance is, you know, in the eye of the beholder, I suppose. But, but um, I, I think I, I, this, this conversation is eternally fascinating to me for all of these reasons. And I hope that everybody that's, that's either watching this live or will listen to this in the podcast version here when it gets published in a couple of weeks, I hope that you'll, you'll think further into what we're talking about here in terms of place, in terms of, of the research. Of course, Ryan's, Ryan's book, as I mentioned at the, uh, in the introduction, is called Right Place, Right Time, The Ultimate Guide to Choosing a Home for the Second Half of Life. If you, if you were with us in Austin last year, Ryan was our closing keynote speaker. You could go to here.life slash assessment related to the book, and I encourage you to do that. But go to here.life, connect with Ryan and learn more about the way that Ryan researches, writes about and talks about placemaking and the importance of place, the intersection between place 
and healthy longevity. There's a there's a real key there. One quick idea that came up uh, going back to Katie's question about what do I do right now, and that is one practical thing. And you triggered it in what you said earlier, Jeff. There are a bunch of these older neighborhoods in cities. And I, when I visit my friend in Cincinnati, I can't remember the name. I want to say Hyde Park, but I don't know if that's what it was. But nonetheless, a lot of these houses are not, they're not designed well for people as they get older. So right. if there was a way you go in as an architect, maybe partner with a developer and find a way to make a number of these houses age friendly, but still in these places, I think that's a pretty interesting, I think it's a pretty interesting business because a number of people yep. don't want to don't want to tear down these old homes, but it's complicated. But if you get it right, there's there's it's so desirable because the supply is so limited. That's an excellent point. Yeah. So just another kind of closing thought. But thank great great to be with you both and love your community and and I, I think there's so much potential for impact. Well, what do you think? Did you hear something in this conversation that you can use maybe in your practice or even in your life? If the topic of this conversation is of particular interest to you, every week in the Entree Architect Network, I host the Context and Clarity Classroom. It's our weekly opportunity to take what we've learned from our special guests and put those lessons into action in your life and in your work. Find the Context and Clarity Classroom exclusively inside the Entree Architect Network at network.entrearchitect.com. And if you were so inspired by this conversation that you'd like to watch the entire Context and Clarity Live episode, head on over to YouTube. Find the Entree Architect YouTube channel. There's a playlist there that has all of the full Context and Clarity Live episodes. You can also have the Context and Clarity podcast delivered to you every week. Just give us a rating and subscribe wherever you're listening right now. Your likes and your ratings and your shares all help us help other entrepreneur architects like you. And together, they help us build the largest worldwide community of small firm architects. And if you love content like this, check out Gable Media. It's a multimedia network for people that care about the built environment. And it's the home of context and clarity. With Gable's growing family of podcasts and video channels, I know that you're going to find something there that interests you. You can learn more at GableMedia.com. That's G-A-B-L media.com. So thanks for listening. I hope this conversation has inspired you to think about how you can build your business into something that allows you to practice the way that you want to practice. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? Yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris Owners of Level Studio Architecture are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, 
sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that <laughs> then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long-term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like, us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh the one that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success.